podcast ain't played nobody time travel edition bill you and i are in the present tense it's tuesday evening as we record this the playoff rankings have just happened um you're getting a little flavor of life on the road this week i'll be on the road this week i'm gonna be doing the lsu florida game lots of stuff going on we actually have to travel back in time to get the entirety of the show in but for now in this present tense Let's run through the college football playoff ranking. This is going to be magic right here. We're going to probably get this up an hour or so after the playoff rankings were revealed, and it's going to be an hour and a half long, and it's going to start with us reacting to the playoff rankings. It's just magic. Just broke your brains. Um, and I'm whispering a little bit because I think both of our kids are down for the night. So this is – we've got some hardcore dad content going right now, of which I'm <laughs> – Here, hold proud. on. Let me turn on the Wilco real fast. Um, hey, don't joke. Don't act like I don't have that on vinyl, all right? Uh, number, we're going to do this real fast, then we're going to talk about them, okay? So the playoff rankings just hit. I don't understand why they do 25 of these teams. It's we're not. Just I, They're the, uh, dumb process. I've said that before Fif- anyway. <laughs> 15 Auburn, 14 West Virginia, 13 Southern Cal, 12 Utah, 11 Oklahoma State, 10 Colorado. Now we get into the meat of it. 9 Oklahoma, 8 Penn State, 7 Wisconsin, 6 Washington, 5 Louisville, the cutoff, and then one through four, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, and Clemson. So Clemson and Louisville, probably by virtue of head-to-head, are the 4-5 split here. Let's start back down at 14. Uh, West Virginia's 8-1. and one. Uh, Bill, how punished are the Mountaineers being for playing Missouri? I'm sorry, I was going to try and do it with a straight face. No, Missouri fans have already caught on to that. No, um, hey, man, we just beat Vanderbilt. Um... So I picks like this, I generally don't have a problem with because West Virginia is not a top 15 caliber team, or at least hasn't been in terms of pure quality. Um, so I'm not going to necessarily, people are going crazy that anytime they do a nod to quality over resume, I'm cool with it <laughs> um, because that's what I want more of. So, you know, you look at my ratings, I think West Virginia is 29th and, and they're not, you know, top five anywhere. So I, yeah. that's fine. Uh, what I start to go crazy with is the just completely conflicting criteria from, from place to place and point to point. If West, if, if, you know, West Virginia is 14th in general because of quality, Utah has no business being 12th. Um, but it really is like this one was because of quality. This one's because of top 25 wins. This one's because of a good loss. This one's because of, you know, and, and this is why it's <laughs> for every reason number 486, why this it's stupid to release this week after week, because by the end of this process, a lot of people will have completely lost faith in the committee, even though they were asked to do something impossible. Um, and so dumb, but I at least kind of get it from a quality standpoint, um, and, uh, you know, as, as I wrote earlier today, I think USC is probably maybe one of the three or four best teams in the country at this exact moment. Yes. Um, and so I'm not going to have a problem with them being 13th. Obviously, I would have a problem with them being about fourth. <laughs> they jumped all the way from, I think, 20th last week to 13th. So they're definitely the gainer of the week. Um, with all this stuff that happened up top, there's not a whole, whole bunch of – I mean – Washington is the furthest out right now of a, of a one loss team that isn't West Virginia. Um, right. The Pac-12 is still being punished a little bit more uh, than any other conference. Washington's at six. They will theoretically win out. You've got Utah and Southern Cal in the teens. Washington may be out of it after that loss to Southern Cal. It's very possible because you have well, they're behind both Clemson and Louisville. So you could have a situation where Clemson wins out, Louisville wins out. Washington may be not be able to get back in obviously Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other so right. two and three really don't matter right now right three weeks three weeks to go 
uh, being sixth is not the end of the world by any means, but you do look above them, and only two of those teams play each other. Um, by the way, I completely just skipped America's team when I was sizing up the conference. Oh. Well, I, I was just going to make a joke about, hey, three straight Big 12 teams, Oklahoma, Colorado, Oklahoma State. Um, <laughs> I, I'll say this. One of the things I was curious about this week, to the extent that I'm curious about any of this before about two weeks from now, um, we were talking a lot about you know two lost teams and, and who could maybe make a jump and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I was curious whether they put Wisconsin and or Penn State ahead of Washington. They clearly had no real interest in uh, Washington's schedule to date when they put them behind uh, Texas A&M a couple of weeks ago. Right. I mean, Wisconsin's beaten LSU, number 16 LSU. Uh, their only losses were very, very tight games to number two and number three. Like, they have pretty much the perfect two-loss resume right now. And so I was curious. Um, and I, I didn't know if I was going to be okay with it or not, but it didn't happen. They are below Washington still. I mean, it's kind of orderly in that regard. You've got the undefeated team. You've got five one-loss teams, and then you've got the batch of two-loss teams that are probably out of it, but maybe not out of it. Um, it and it does look weird to have West Virginia that low when everything else seems that orderly. Uh, but again, I mean, I, I would pick USC to beat West Virginia. I would pick, uh, I guess, Colorado to beat West Virginia. Yeah. Oklahoma State did beat West Virginia. Um, so, but you know, by 17. So, um, I, I, yeah, it's fine. It, it's as fine as this is going to get. And um, It's also worth noting, it looks like Oklahoma State's not, they're not having that Central Michigan business held against them. That's actually a good point. And uh, as I, I was talking about quality, well, I have Oklahoma State ranked lower than West Virginia. So if you're going to punish West Virginia in that regard, it really doesn't make any sense unless you're unless you're basing it solely on them beating West Virginia head to head. Yeah. Uh, and I don't like head to head. So you know, I'm, I'm basically what we're, dis- we're what we're determining here is I'm impossible to actually please. Well, speaking of head to head, obviously Clemson Louisville is the four or five. Let me just say this: I'm not interested so much in the Big Ten right now. They're clearly the best conference in college football. Uh, I think they're they're they've got a, a good no. shoulder up on no. the on the SEC no. this year. No, uh, at the top. At the well, okay. Are we judging it by simply like the top four teams, okay. or are we judging it by all fourteen? Because they have let Rutgers me, and Purdue. Let me <laughs> shift the mast back to the northern okay. point in the sky here. What <laughs> I'm know, saying right. is this: if you're Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, or Penn State, with the exception of Penn State, to a little degree, you can basically control your own destiny at this point yeah Penn State is interesting yeah um, if, well, well, hang on if, if Wisconsin beats either team then they're in yeah either the Ohio State Michigan or really Penn State they're in so there are some interesting Big Ten really could make this really messy and so naturally that's what I'm rooting for um but you there are these weird scenarios now where you look at okay so they have they're two three seven and eight. First of all we're assuming that Wisconsin wins technically that's not you know, they still have a little business to take care of, but they're pro- you know at this point they're in the driver's seat. Um, yes. But of course, the 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 way these funny tiebreakers work. So uh, Ohio State beats Michigan, and suddenly number eight and number seven in these rankings are playing for the Big Ten title. So you have a situation now where Ohio State's eleven and one, um, and and uh, you know g- going by this, almost certainly number two in the country. They're not going to fall below a, a two loss Big Ten champion. Um, so now let's say Washington beats USC, which um, time travel alert we will discuss in a little bit. I have a good idea that we're going to be discussing this in a little bit. Back um, in the past. Um, so, you know, if they then beat uh, USC and kind of get that monkey off their back and that's their only loss uh, and they killed everybody else, then does 
Penn State or Wisconsin jump Washington, or does Washington kind of jump with them? I think Louisville might be the most screwed right now because they can't win anymore. Like, right. even beating Houston uh, would be a, a nice win. Houston's still a solid team, but th- they can't. A solid team who's not in the 25, by the right. way. So maybe I, maybe I guess I should finish it out, but Houston's not in there. 25 A&M, 24 Stanford, 23 Florida, 22 Wazoo, 21 Western Michigan, 20 Boise State. That's interesting. 19 Tennessee, 18 Nebraska, 17 Florida State, and 16 LSU. I hadn't Houston even noticed is, the Western Michigan thing. That's that's I, now I'm annoyed. But anyway, Houston is not going. To, I don't know how favorably that's going to look. No, they, the only way they'll get into the 25 is if they beat Louisville, obviously. Um, no, I'm, I'm just talking about for Louisville in terms of the end of the year. Well, I mean, right? Yeah, no, it's not going to count as a top 25 win, which we know they look at it. Which you know, grumble, grumble, but. Um, no, I think Louisville's kind of screwed because unless Alabama – no, no, Alabama's – even if they lose to Auburn, Alabama's going to stay in the damn top four. So really you need like – you need Michigan to beat Ohio State and then you need Wisconsin to beat Michigan uh, while getting outgained by like 300 and having a really stupid ending. Uh, that's how Louisville gets in, I think. Um, I some don't – game where t- Technically, Wisconsin won, but they don't get a, much of a boost, and, and Michigan drops down, and then maybe you're looking at, like, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Louisville, or something where you get two non-champions. It's really hard. I think Louisville's screwed, and, and, and that's a shame. Oklahoma is the highest-ranked Big 12 team. We expected that at 9. Uh, Okie State at 11, and, of course, West Virginia down there. I think they're done. I think this is, this is it. I, I mean, you would just need – a massive amount of chaos. You would need Penn State losing to end the season. Uh, you would need Wisconsin losing to end the regular season. And then you would probably need Ohio State to drop a game and then maybe beat Michigan or vice versa. You would just need so many cards to split, and then you would probably need Wazoo to, to lose the Apple Cup and then, and then I guess, a two-loss Washington team beating the Southern champion. It's it just <laughs> – I mean, I'm still not done. Yeah. I mean, that's – the Big Twelve, I think, is we can officially go ahead and move but on from them in we, terms of a well, playoff. We did that. We, did, we 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 moved on from them a long time ago. Yeah, we, we've been trying to talk ourselves a bit back into it when it, they're still. Yeah, they're at ninth, eleventh, and fourteenth right now, and only number nine. Um, like well, like a nine and eleven play each other here, and and nine and fourteen play each other. So I mean, Oklahoma could still end up with a decent resume, but yeah, they're they're still they're not going to have a resume better than, say, a two-loss Big Ten champion Wisconsin or Penn State. I'd also so. like to point out something not relevant to the, to the playoff four. Auburn is the second-highest rated SEC team here at 15, LSU at 16. So Alabama can take a mulligan, which is, a, which is, an, a, a, it is an indictment on the playoff system. It is. It does devalue the regular season to a degree. Okay? To a degree. Just, I mean, we're only but saying Alabama- they would lose late. But Alabama is the only team right now in contention for the playoff at all from the Southeastern Conference. And on top of that, they may not have a team in the access polls. No, I mean, yeah, we knew that. Um, I mean, LSU can still do some damage here and move up. uh, Well, before Auburn lost to Georgia last week, Auburn could have. Right. Auburn was pegged for an access bowl. That that is not going to happen now. Right. Nor yeah. do we. Uh, nor do we really think that a let's say a three loss Tennessee running the table and then getting absolutely hammered again in Atlanta would get into an access bowl. This is a bad year for the SEC. Yeah, they're still the best conference though. Just that you know, on average. Oh my God, do you want to fight in a parking lot of Stuckies? Uh, you have to. Big Ten still has Rutgers and Purdue. That's all I can say. Uh, you know, actually, what we're not talking about is the ACC might actually be the best conference, but that's a, a completely different. Who do you get to be the? Who gets to be the angriest two-loss team right now in terms of fan bases? Utah. I, 
Uh, well, angry, uh, Utah is always the angriest fan base. Yeah, I kind of set you up I, there. As I kind of learned today. Um, no, relearned. Uh, God, are you freaking kidding me? Hey! I cannot... Uh, I, the election, the damn election's over. Okay. Um, Keep it in. So, let's see. Two lost teams. I got to look up records here. Uh, Nebraska, I, well, I think they're still pretty happy with being 18. Um, yeah, I don't think Nebraska has much of a quibble now. Um, I, I'm going to go with, hmm. See, everybody, I think Wisconsin fans aren't happy at seven, but, I mean, they're the highest-ranked two-loss team. What I else did you want? Did you think you were going to jump Washington? Yeah, I think they probably did, and I thought it was a possibility that they might. So, I mean, they can get mad about that if they want. But, again, they have the schedule in front of them uh, with either – well, you know, worst case for them is I guess they play Penn State instead of Michigan or Ohio State. But, um, no, nah, I mean, I, they, they can't be all that mad. Oklahoma State fans sure can't be that mad because, like you said, they're almost getting treated like a one-loss team here. By the way, I think um – if we're looking at the value of these ranked teams, and I know that that ends up being a completely, it's quicksand week to week because the value dissipates based on the ranking and the snake yep. eats its eats its tail. But Boise being ahead of Western Michigan for the act for the G five uh, Access Bowl at nine and one, it's because Washington State's at twenty two. That's probably. I mean, I, I, they may not come out and say that right now, but that's why. And by the way, this is where I point out again the strength of record measure that. Um that ESPN basically correlates very well with the, the playoff rankings. I would take that um, because, among other things, Western Michigan is 10th in that and Boise State's 20. It's so stupid. I, this is just the, the, they just at this point probably just need to, you know, merge together the, the group of five with the best uh, FCS conferences because they're never going to get it's stupid. Anyway. Look, we're going to have a lot of fun when it's late March. And we don't have a lot to talk about, and we go back posthumously and pick apart how stupid this was week to week because this may be the dumbest of and the three years. We, and how stupid we were to look at it week to week and actually react to it. But we, okay, we're here for so we're here for content. So in the in the spirit of content, uh, this is podcast ain't played nobody. A college football marriage of numbers and words. He's the robot Bill Connolly. He invented the S and P Plus analytics system. He is the proprietor of SB Nation's Football Study Hall and the author of the forthcoming book, Fifty Best College Football Teams of All Time. My name is Stephen Godfrey. I'm senior reporter for SB Nation. I am currently podcasting from under a blanket as to not wake up a toddler. And now, Bill, we're going to jump back in time for the rest of this show. By the way, A&M dropped 17 spots after losing to Ole Miss, after dropping like four for, for, beating, for losing to uh, Mississippi State. That's a fun one. Hey, maybe we'll talk about that in the past. The past. The past. The past. Welcome back in time, Bill. We are now earlier than we just were. We've actually, we just broke the, we broke the space-time continuum. Now we're talking about things before we even know what we just talked about. This is um. You feel weird. This is a tricky dance. I mean, what happens if I kill a butterfly right now? I don't know. I mean, I, I think then then we get uh, ten more Mac games on a Tuesday night. Okay. It's very That's strange. Fine. It's very strange. So as we record this, you will already know the outcome. You being the omniscient, <laughs> and so will we, godlike listener, in a different universe. The results of Kent State, Bowling Green, Ohio, and Central Michigan <laughs> are already known. You know what? Nobody cares. That, that changes everything else about the week, though. This is going to be tricky. 
Maybe that's why we answered it. So that's the answer to the question I asked last week, is why are you stuffing a MAC game opposite playoff ranking? It's because they're – well, I think last week they had Western Michigan on during all that nonsense, which is definitely relevant to the rankings. But this week we don't have that problem. Um, Bill, let's jump a little further ahead um, unless you've got – actually, there's another doubleheader. Yeah. Ball State, Toledo, Northern Illinois, and Eastern Michigan on Wednesday night. That's just going to be – Good processed college food product with no real discernible nutrients or rewarding experience. Eligible Eastern Michigan. Oh boy! For some for some reason, when you bring up Eastern Michigan, I always feel like that's my line. Like we've we've dicked around on the show and joked about so many programs. I mean, we've become this sort of de facto Purdue meme. And yet, when you bring up Eastern Michigan, that's it for me. I'm done. I'm I'm bowl eligible. Oh God. Um. Probably the biggest Thursday game in a while since when I can't even remember a relevant Thursday game. It's been a minute. Um, Louisville at Houston. It's oh, not. I thought you were talking about Arkansas State. Troy, sorry. Okay, I'm of ready. Course. I'm with you. Um, it's not the game that we thought it would be at the end of September. It still factors heavily in what Louisville's trying to do. Um, and then also this sort of I think affects the Big Twelve in a way because Houston beat Oklahoma. And it would actually be beneficial here if, what, Houston beats Louisville to help Oklahoma creep up? I mean, is that the logic? Right, yeah, technically. Um, They will either kind of, you know, you can't really solidify Louisville, I guess, right now. But it would help Louisville's resume or it would help Oklahoma's resume, one or the other. Um, The proxy Sooners in, in Houston. Uh, the other time fold that we have here is that I have a story going up that's only halfway written as I speak this, but <laughs> Louisville-Houston becomes this marquee like non-conference in November. Really, it's an oddity in a lot of different ways, but when it was built, this is just the, I don't know if it's the problem or if it's just a fun feature of college football. None of the principles involved in this are still, are, are still there. So it was Charlie Strong and Tony Levine and various other administrators who aren't still at the institutions. Now, there's a couple senior executive ADs that are still with uh, Louisville. Obviously, Tom George hasn't gone anywhere, but he doesn't directly deal with the scheduling. But the idea for this game came years ago under totally different circumstances. This is back when Strong was still at Louisville. They started talking, and Levine had been on Petrino's staff previously with the Cardinals. So um, there's there's nothing really to glean from that other than that you have absolutely no idea what these games are going to look like when you sign them. And I don't know if there's a way around that, but yeah. it's, I mean, I, awesome. You know, it's awesome that we have this. There's no way to recreate it. You know, basketball has – doesn't sign, you know, five years out kind of stuff. And and we saw – we see examples of, of things coming together really quickly sometimes too. Well, hell, okay, so in Division Two. Uh, who was it, like Tuskegee and Virginia State or something like that. Basically, they both needed another Division II opponent to qualify for a Division II playoffs because they both, I think, are better than they expected to be, uh, and they would both make the playoffs with another win. So they arranged a game with each other in a week and then played it. Um, or, or they will play it this Saturday or something to that effect. It can be arranged quickly. And I don't. I think that's part of the reason why it drives me crazy that basically every every schedule is locked up through 2020 or whatever there's no purpose for it that you know that you that cannot be served by just waiting until uh, you know even the year of um i understand that scheduling is a giant pain in the ass for whichever associate uh, athletic director gets stuck with the job but 
it, I, it, I, anyway, it, it drives me crazy that we can't because we could have so many more interesting matchups uh, instead of trying to figure out, okay, four years from now, we'll see about, you know, maybe this will be a good game. There's no need for it whatsoever. I don't buy the excuse that campus concerns are often outweigh like late changes. I mean, look at what LSU's done for two years right. in a row now. But, but if you want to feed me that line, and maybe there's a situation like, Clemson has real logistic issues because they're so rural. They bring in such a large crowd, and it does affect like their their actual infrastructure. If they have a Thursday night game, if if they have a late game, like I've and I've been in it too, trying to get out of town after a game there. This is why I think the neutral sites would actually be pretty beneficial here. I'm not in love with the idea of having more neutral site games, but I was on the phone talking to Louisville, and they had mentioned, "Oh, hey, you're in Nashville. We just signed a deal with Western Kentucky to go to LP Field, like that or Nissan Stadium. I'm sorry, whatever." The Titan Stadium, that that facility in the city of Nashville is dying to bring in neutral site games. If you gave them six months' notice or three months' notice, they would make it happen, without a doubt. And you would have hotels, you would have um, parking, you would have all the stuff that you would worry about in a normal situation. So I don't buy that these things can't be done quicker, but I also, at the same time, I get why you have to, as an AD do your due diligence and book these games that we see, like, you know, I think Mississippi State and Minnesota just signed on for, like, 2027 or something like that. I get that, too. So I don't know if there's a good if there's a good middle ground. Um, and plus, ADs are often trying to just lock these things up to have the contracts on the book because they don't know what coach they're going to have or what that coach wants. And right. Rather than, like, bring in somebody and then scramble at the last second. So One know. of the many ideas that I've had um – that you know, Jason mistakenly lets me write about uh, is the idea of Brackabuster Saturday, where you basically just you know nobody schedules a game or a non-conference slot for for like the you know first Saturday in November or sometime in late October or something, and then as you know three weeks out or something like that, all you know is you're going to have a home game, and then based on rankings, however you want to do it, um, you're basically paired up at that point. Um, Obviously, travel for the road team gets it's a little weird, whatever. But that could be done. It really could be done, and like especially if it's a situation where you know this year we have a home game here, this next year we have a road game. Um, you can kind of, sort of, start planning things out at that point. So, like, I, I, yeah, this is something that I, I I understand from a convenience standpoint. But it just from a viewing standpoint, you end up with a lot of really dumb matchups, or sometimes you have to get lucky to stumble into a good matchup, and that's you know. Not, and it's funny, you know, even games on paper that we think are going to impact the national title race, that we think that are good, solid matchups every year, they end up being obsolete. It was Auburn and Louisville last year to open the season. It's Florida State and Ole Miss this year. There's just no way to certify these things. Um, on Friday night, there is probably what I would assume to be an offensively, not offensively entertaining, offense, uh, offense satisfying. My syntax has gone to hell today. I think I got another cold. Um, Boise State and UNLV are going to score a lot of points, so just yes. watch that. Uh, Memphis and Cincinnati is a win that Cincinnati's probably not going to get, but they're, they're starting to need some wins here. They've very yeah. quietly fallen apart. And with Tommy Tuberville's sort of, I don't want to say age, but his position in college football, and that this is almost certainly his last run. And where does that last run end? Now all of a sudden there's conversations starting about that. Um, a year ago they were fine. You know, even in the early season, they thought they were fine. They made a change at offensive coordinator when they lost Eddie Grand to Kentucky, and it's not good. It's not good there. And and there's a short, short leash at these programs that are perpetually trying to vie for Power Five membership. Um, 
they can't suffer like a year or a year and a half or two years worth of malaise. They just can't do it. So, And, and the thing about the AAC right now is, um, you know, so Houston, it doesn't turn out to be a national title contender. There's still just a boatload of teams between like 30th and 60th in S&P. And so if you have a down year, if you sink into the 80s like he has this year, where the offense just, you know, the changes haven't worked, uh, quarterback situation is, is <laughs> somewhere between weird and awkward. Um, and, yeah, you, can't, you they're, they're currently 86. There just aren't very many wins in the AAC right now if you're 86th. And, and they have won, and it was against the team that is 89th, East Carolina. Um, and, and now they play number 50. They just finished playing number – 26 and 56 in conference. Now they play number 54 and 50. Uh, it's going to be tough. They, Memphis is kind of in a weird spot. They're not quite as good as they were a month ago, uh, but they're still projected to be uh, Cincy. So kind of awkward. Um, obviously, it's on brand for us to chew up our segment about the schedule this week with two AAC teams, but that's because we're in SoCon Challenge. Um, and even if you're not playing a SoCon team in the SEC right now, there's just a lot of fat on the schedule. Luckily, um, thanks to a hurricane and a whole bunch of uh, other blustering, <laughs> uh, Florida's playing LSU at, uh, at noon Eastern, 11 Central. Um, and then it's, it's a little dicey. Although, you, I'm, I'm, what's, your, um, what's your level of excitement for CBS getting the Missouri-Tennessee game? That's true. I mean, <laughs> Well, at least Missouri's coming off a win now. Um, I, <laughs> you know, it, it was, I mean, it, it, that was almost their only choice if, if LSU Florida wasn't going to be in play, and it kind of sounds like that was arranged to not be in play. That is um, correct. Yeah, so uh, they, they really didn't have a choice. But, you know, I mean, Tennessee's playing, they played well last, last week at least. Uh, Missouri played relatively well. So, you know, it's better than them playing on TV a month ago. And the wild game to watch is, is Oklahoma and West Virginia. I think everything else kind of peters out from there. Um, game day is going to be at Western Michigan. Um, they're playing Buffalo, so it's that's a football game that's going to happen. Um, but it's SoCon Challenge Week, and it, I always like it when game day goes and does something unorthodox and stops catering specifically to the same you know twelve campuses. And, yeah, I hate and six I hate neutral sites. I hate that I'm traveling this week, so I have kind of an abbreviated writing schedule because this is what I, you know, at this point, the repetition has really set in uh, in terms of the, pre- the games I've been previewing and whatnot. Uh, and so having a guarantee that, you know, Alabama and really there's not going to be any sort of SEC game worth uh, previewing, it, it's a, a chance to kind of look at different things. Um, and so the world is missing out on a Washington State, Colorado preview because I'm traveling this weekend. Uh, probably the second best game of the day, um, yeah. although I think it could be far more entertaining than Oklahoma and West Virginia. But that's a game with massive circumstances. Yeah. Let's say that lots again. And Colorado and Wazoo have massive circumstances. Uh, and I mean, Colorado, the, the Pac-12 South is kind of funny because in my head, Colorado is the favorite. Uh, but then when I wrote about USC this morning, kind of. You know, that I, I premised it around the idea that if they were to sneak into the playoff, they might be one of the favorites, even if they were a six, seven, eight ranked team. But to get there, they would probably have to win their conference still, and they haven't done that yet. And they need somebody to lose to do that. And then Utah, uh, I love writing about teams in the Pac-12 South because it takes about three minutes for a Utah fan to get huffy and respond, "What about us?" Uh, yes, I realize Utah also has a chance to win the South. It's it, it really this game in Colorado, Utah, USC is almost done with their part of the process they have to wait and see how colorado wazoo and colorado utah plays out to see if they even have a chance at the at the conference title and washington um, needs washington needs colorado to lose they just do oh right yeah because they want to play usc yeah it would certainly not hurt uh, their case 
to be able to play, to, to be able to get revenge on USC. But at the same time, if they want to win the Pac-12, <coughs> they might rather play Colorado or Utah. It, it, it maybe doesn't have to happen like we talked about on the recap show, but I, I feel like it would help their cause tremendously with the, the lazier side of the um, the voting public and the, and the polls that don't affect it. But I still think that the, the, the polls that is, uh, apparently don't affect things anymore, I still think they affect the, the, the selection committee, whether they admit it or not. Um, okay, so you can kind of pick through the guts of this week and find some suitable viewing product here. Um, and then I go into a pregnant pause as I try and find that. Um, I'm interested now to see if Baylor wins another game this year. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean that in, a, in any kind of mean way. It's just um, we we kind of prophesized this before the season. I know that Seth Russell has is out, but it, it, not really related to that. We thought, well, the talent the talent of their opponents is backloaded. They're riding momentum. The system is still in place on offense. They'll probably crest and possibly peak right about mid-year, which they did. Um, you know, for a second there, though, they were they were a serious contender for the Big Twelve, and now it's um, yeah, you know, and it's turned in a vacuum outside of the the things that caused this situation. It's going to be interesting to see how a guy with no affiliation to this program, culture, community, and Jim Grubb can motivate with no future whatsoever can motivate this this team in in the last couple of weeks. Granted, I mean, they're better than Kansas State. Kansas State kind of also is a team that kind of peaked a while back and hasn't really had as much to offer of late. So they should probably win that game if they've got anything on offense. But you might not. They might not. And, and Kansas State is also a team that can absolutely take advantage of a team that has that's, you know, looking elsewhere or, ha- or is a little bit down or distracted. So um, that's not really one of the games I was planning on paying attention to this weekend. I no, that's more about, morbid curiosity. I am curious about USC UCLA at least a little bit. Yeah, uh, UCLA hasn't been completely lifeless. Their defense is actually really good. So if nothing else, uh, it'll be interesting to see Sam Darnold take on another good defense. That, that was I, I was blown away by USC the other night. They were very very impressive, and um, it, it's kind of weird thinking about playing UCLA and having it maybe be a letdown game, but it's on the table at least that they I mean that they could maybe be overlooking their rival and Jim Moore Lord knows Jim Moore needs a little bit of a boost at the moment um let's see what Penn State Rutgers I'm kidding um there's important for recruiting I think that's about it sure yeah and it is interesting I mean I, I I've not been taking seriously the thought of Penn State getting into the playoff and I'm still not yet but if they finish 10 and 2 and Michigan beats Ohio State or excuse me, Ohio State beats Michigan, and they they beat Wisconsin for the Big Ten title, and you know a couple of other things have happened, um, and it's 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 on the table. It is on the table. It was not on the table a week ago, and now it is. And and that's um, if nothing else, that is fascinating to think about a Penn State team, a James Franklin team here, considering how you know we we said in September he really really needs to beat Pitt to build some momentum. And then they don't, and he's he's in trouble. He's got nobody, not a lot of support right now, and then they end up in the playoff. That that entertains me, if nothing else. Um, Arkansas and Mississippi State. I've long I've given up on on figuring out the gauging uh, Western Division anxiety, but this is a win that both staffs really really need. Um, we've talked a lot about Mississippi State post Dak Prescott and what's gone on at Ole Miss. Um, Arkansas is two and four in the conference. This is slowly creeping up towards frustrating for a fan base in Brett Bielema. 
Yeah, this is um, this is the time of the year they're supposed to be peaking. You know, you put up with early, you put up with early frustration because in November you're awesome, and um, for, it, but instead this year it's kind of we, we've kind of shuffled things around a little bit. This is maybe uh, a lesson in building narratives around uh, you know clumps of two or three games in different years. Uh, they were better at times uh, than maybe expected in September. Uh, and then in between destroying Florida, which is otherwise really kind of patented their, you know, all defense and special teams routine, they just massacred Florida. Uh, they got massacred by Auburn and they got massacred by LSU. And so um, really weird. Eight place and right four now. is uh, an eight, eight and four. Would, oh, hang on. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, young Tom Godfrey did not agree with Arkansas's prospects, but they could still go eight and four. They could also still go six and six. And that um, to me is... Whoa, man, what a swing. Because right now, let's put it this way. Right now, uh, from an S&P standpoint, 55% chance of beating Mississippi State, 52% chance of beating Missouri. Is that game in those, Columbia, Bill? Yeah, it's, they're, they're on the road the next two weeks here. Um, they're projected huh. to win 31-29 and 31-30 at the moment. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that and, and is six a very – And six is – yeah, six and six is not a firing, but six and six is something that um, – I tell you what, it will give it will create as much attention and as much conversation as Brett's bounce year did. Was that two years ago? Yeah, where they blank, they they shut out Ole Miss, they shut out LSU, right. and they beat Texas the uh, borderline erotic year where Arkansas was going to win right. the national title the next season. I think you'll get the same amount of attention, unjustly so. It'll be reactionary in the opposite direction if they go six and six, especially if they lose to, to Missouri. I mean, they've got a uh, hey. No, they. I mean, they've Sorry. got a. Um, you know, last year, to 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 uh, to this point, one of their problems was kind of just that they, uh, you know, you know, pushing sand uphill. They figure one thing out, and another problem happens. They fi- they figured out they mastered offense last year. They were a brilliant offensive team last year, um, and but their defense completely cratered. Their defense carried them during that hum- when they were absolutely dominant late in twenty fourteen. Uh, their defense was fantastic, and it so it kind of died out that last year. This year, the defense was supposed to bounce back, and the offense was maybe going to take a step back with a new backfield. Backfield has actually been decent. Raleigh Williams, um, actually, uh, I stand corrected by the advanced stats. I thought the the running game was pretty good. They're seventy fourth in rushing S and P plus at the moment, so that kind of kills my argument. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, they're 47th in offense, which was at least foreseeable to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Their pass defense is actually not bad. Uh, their run defense is abysmal. They are currently 117th in rushing S&P Plus, which in the SEC, not really a good idea. Um, and, and so, and, and, you know, that's where I point out that, you know, Mississippi State has a very good running quarterback, and Missouri has uh, Demaria Crockett, who's suddenly on pace for like 1,100 rushing yards after barely playing the first three weeks. So, Can I point um, out something real fast? It's, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a jarring transition. Okay. As, as well, I'm that's, looking, that's our specialty. Okay. As I'm looking at the bottom end of these two divisions, South Carolina is going to go to a bowl when they beat Western Carolina this week. That's massive. I know it's fun at SB Nation. Oh, that's right. They're at five. I was thinking yeah. they were still at four. Yeah, never mind. They're going to beat Western Carolina for a six win, and they're going to go to a bold six and six. I, I mean, that, that, that I really can't, uh, and I, I will spend some time hopefully in the offseason talking about this. That's, that's amazing. I think, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a very good thing for them. I'm, I'm, you know, right now they're doing it with a, a top 40 big play preventing defense and a bad offense, um, which maybe is kind of quelling some of my enthusiasm. But at the very least – in the last 
two to three weeks, they have completely shifted to an all freshman backfield. So, you know, Jake Bentley taking over at quarterback, Rico Dowdle uh, taking over at, at running back. So at the very least now, even though their offense is still kind of sporadic, it was, it, it, it was good on like a couple of drives against Tennessee. It was, it was good against Missouri's suddenly awful pass defense. Uh, it was very bad against Florida. It was, did the bare minimum against UMass, but they're at least future facing now on offense. So that's, that, that's certainly building. If it, if this was just a pure, they got by six times on defense, their offense is hopeless situation. A bowl is still good, but I wouldn't be all that impressed uh, in terms of building for the future. Cause that, that, that's a little too must champion for me. Yeah, but, no, I, I get that. But the, the freshman now being involved and having Debo Samuel, who I think is a sophomore. Yeah, he's a sophomore, really looking good these last few weeks. Uh, that's got to be encouraging, yeah. It's just with the, with the recruiting emphasis that they have right now and the fact that they've overperformed relative to expectations, it's, um, I mean, like I said, it's not fun for us at SB Nation because we're littered with Florida graduates. But um, he's doing everything right. He's just not... He may not be doing it in in a dynamic enough way to um, to transpose what happened at Florida, but it, it may they may be that six and sixteen that we can't shut up about in the off season, but just because they are an SEC program that overachieved, and we tend to give those the benefit of the doubt. Um, Bill, anything else we want to pick dry on the bones of this thing? Um, uh, you know what, <laughs> Clemson, Clemson, you better beat Wake Forest. Yeah, that was actually. Um I'm going to, well, this is going to reveal, I'm going to North Carolina this week. I'll, 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 I'll say nothing more, although if you can, if you're a, 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 a PAPN listener, you can start to piece it together. But um, if that game were two hours later in the day, I would be going to Clemson Wake Forest just as a fan, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't quite pull that off. But regardless, I mean, Wake Forest, Wake Forest did exactly to Louisville what they've done to other teams this year and just frustrate the heck out of them for a while and then give in. Um, they could frustrate Clemson. They're good at defense. And uh, Clemson, after last weekend, of course, the offense wasn't really the problem last week other than, you know, the fourth down conversion, really. Um, (laughs) It's a weird weird game uh, for them to play. I assume they will eventually figure things out and move forward, but uh, it could be frustrating for a while. Yeah, I'd say so. And then the last thing, um, Michigan, you better beat Indiana. (laughs) Surely. I mean... Right. Um, yeah, yeah. It's at home, uh, and you know, John O'Corn. I, I was really trying to tamp the enthusiasm down for Michigan fans when they got him because he was so he was so lucky as a freshman in terms of not throwing like thirty eight interceptions, and then he threw a ton right at the start of his sophomore year. Um, but I think he'll be he'll be enough. Their defense is still really good. Their defense did nothing, almost nothing wrong last week. Um, and they still almost beat a decent Iowa team with with a really really bad passing performance. I assume they'll they'll, they'll yeah they'll do it. They're fine. Okay, Bill. We have two two GoFundMe um, segments that we've allotted for this show. I'll let you pick which one we're going to do first. We have uh, Georgia State and Western Kentucky. And if you're about to tune out, don't because we'll be able to tie these into the to the the larger the larger scope narrative. Um, Maybe actually Georgia State more than Western Kentucky. That's really saying something. Um, so uh, if you want to have a segment, and I think we already we do already have one of the segments already booked for next week. I believe it's going to be Wisconsin, which is weird because normally we don't have really good teams. But um, what, oh, actually that's an insult to Western Kentucky. I apologize. Um, well, you can still do that. Two hundred bucks. Give it to our GoFundMe campaign for Democracy Prep. Um, also, if you like our show and you haven't already, just uh, give five bucks. Give ten bucks. 
Uh, we are raising funds. We're trying to get to ten grand by the end of the season. By the end of the national championship game, will be awesome. And I think we're close to eight grand, so we should be getting there. We had the um, the Ann Arbor money week. cannon hit us. That's the yeah. that's what really kind of took us out of the out of the gutter. And um, on top of the amazing generosity of Michigan fans, none of them really asked us to do anything. They just threw the money yeah. at us. Yeah. Um, they really are the best kind of patrons in that way. They just don't have, there's no <laughs> strings attached as far as I know. Um, I mean, they I can take say pride in being, in having a money cannon and using it. And uh, there's, yeah, um, I can say bad things about Ohio state, but no one even asked me to. It's really weird. Um, so let's go, Bill, which one do you want to do first? Let's go with the more depressing one first. Georgia State? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't – here's my thing. Okay, so Georgia State, before all this got locked up, fired Trent Miles. Yeah. Um, so we can actually talk about this in terms of like a uh, – oh, by the way, uh, Carl Strength is the guy who donated to this. So thank you, Carl. Um, Carl is the Georgia State fan who wants to talk about all this. He actually sent us a nice itemized list of the way he wanted the segment to go, which is great. Um he said, uh, the focus of this is more forward-looking, unless y'all really want to talk about the ninth-place Sunbelt team. I felt like a segment on Georgia State is an off-season thing, but y'all run the show. Uh, what should be expected? What should be the expected impact of the Turner Field acquisition? What does a school, uh, when does a school of Georgia State's level fire coach? He wrote this right before Miles got fired. Uh, and then Georgia State has been surprisingly decent on defense this year. Maybe Bill expected the ceiling for defense could be pretty high with the experience returning. I think he pulled that directly from your season preview. Yeah, I think so. Um, so let's start here. This has become a phenomenon for city schools that are both new to college football and old. So everything from you know uh, Pittsburgh and Houston to to Charlotte and Georgia State. If you're in an urban environment, the the drive to get a campus stadium is a pretty aggressive one. Um, I know a lot about Georgia State just by de facto because I'm from there, um, because I grew up a fan of Georgia Southern, uh, because I know the city of Atlanta pretty well, even though I don't live there. This is a big deal for them to go in. And if you didn't know this, you can check out, I think maybe SB Nation has touched it a little bit, but they are taking the, the husk, the guts of Turner Field, the Braves Stadium. The Braves are leaving in uh, April to go to their new stadium on basically the northwest side of the Metroplex to go from sort of the south-central side of it. Um, they are going to take a baseball stadium and turn it into a college football stadium. And if in your head, you can close your eyes, even if you're driving, it's okay. Um, a picture a baseball stadium and then picture sort of the L from just to the right of home plate all the way up the third baseline. So that's going to stay. And then in that L, north-south, they're going to build a, a football stadium. And on the other side, they're going to have kind of more, not temporary, but built-in kind of concrete stands at the visitor side. So, again, this is a Sunbelt school with really no tradition at all. So they don't have to account for creating a very large environment, but it's big enough to hopefully lure in some teams that are of higher caliber for you know recruiting purposes and exposure and that kind of stuff. Now you have a nice outdoor facility. It's going to connect to, so I think Georgia State is building some other like actual classrooms, or I think there's going to be kind of a commuter campus atmosphere there. Right. There's a lot of parking, and there's also some, I think it's going to be kind of their southern campus because most of their campus is further north in downtown. Um, this is... A great, this is a phenomenally smart use of, of a facility that would otherwise sit there and die, as mm-hmm. it has kind of done anyway, because the Braves were not a good fit for that part of the town. It was not a good fit for their fan base. The city never really took care of them the way they thought they would. And also, it was Olympic Stadium, if you remember back to 1996. It wasn't even built for baseball. The whole thing was kind of a mess. Um, 
do you want to say anything about Trent Miles? I, I, I don't really feel like there's anything to hold against the guy who tried to create something out of complete nothing with really no direction and no no branding in the community. They would come in, they would play games, they would have sometimes less than 2,500 people in the lower bowl at the Georgia Dome. It's a tough sell. Georgia State yeah. is the epitome of a commuter campus. It's just a tough sell. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, maybe I should spell this out just in case, like, I, I have a, a brand in terms of, uh, you know, not wanting to fire coaches uh, very frequently. I think it's justifiable to fire him, um, even though he went to a bowl last year. Basically, what you're looking at with, with Trent Miles, since they joined uh, FBS, they started, let's see, Two and twenty-seven, or three and twenty-nine. They started three and twenty-nine. Then they won four straight bowl, uh, four straight games to out of nowhere qualify for a bowl last year. And now they've gone two and nine cents. So, you know, if this was something where there was clear building, uh, you know, a, an obvious building process, and they maybe had a, a couple of hiccups or lost some close games this year, that that's fine. That that would be one thing that I would, um, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, accept. Uh, and they are only 108th in S&P, which is bad, but it's not 127th bad. Uh, they've at least shown maybe a little bit of potential. They play Obviously, they played Wisconsin well. They played Appalachian State pretty well. That was a while ago. Uh, they, be, they whooped Texas State. Texas State's terrible. Um, they played Troy pretty well, and then since then they lost to South Alabama, lost to Arkansas State, lost to Louisiana Monroe, which was really damning because uh, Louisiana Monroe's bad this year. Um, I think just basically at worst, this was a slight step backwards for a program that just couldn't take a step backwards. They barely, they, you know, four, four games, that was it. They won four games last year in a row that, that kind of boosted their profile a little bit, but it was a month. They had a good month as an FBS program. I think they were more competitive now than they were before. The, the bottom hasn't completely dropped out, mostly, as he said, because of defense. But I, I don't mind thinking that they need to go in a new direction, especially since they're trying to, you know, get all this other stuff done. Um, obviously, Miles inherited a really tough job. He, he inherited a tough job beforehand. What was it, like Eastern Illinois or something, and actually did well. I completely understood why they hired him. And he, did, he, he didn't have the worst staff in the world either. But, you know, it, 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 was, it seemed like it might be an acceptable time to, to try somebody new. And, and this is a massively important hire. They're all important. Right. But... Um, if you make an iffy hire and then you go two and 10 for another three, four years, uh, that's rough. So, I mean, they really, really need to nail this hire. And I don't know, it's hard to nail a hire if, if you're not a very attractive job, but they need to figure that part out. Okay. So this is where, if you're obviously not one of the tens of tens of Georgia state fans that you can start getting involved because this is essentially a from scratch operation. So you can start thinking like an athletic director who doesn't have any of the burdens or benefits of tradition. You don't have any big-time boosters telling you what to do. You also don't have their money. What do you have? You have one of the biggest cities in America that's filled with college football talent. You're not going to get the top end. You're not even going to get the second layer. But you are going to be able to, de- to develop over time some exposure and some branding. So you got to set about doing that first. got to hire a coach. I feel like a broken record when I say this in talking about doing things in a dynamic manner, but hire someone off the beaten path. They can be young. They can be someone who maybe runs a slightly different system. I think one of the things that we like so much about the Willie Fritz hire at the different places he's gone is that every con- <clears throat> excuse me every conference that he stepped into, his offense provides a decided advantage on a week-to-week level right off the top of the bat, like without thinking about the personnel. 
Um, do you find a Fritz guy? I don't. I mean, Fritz doesn't really have a tree, and his offense isn't unique to him. But I definitely think you don't go and just try and find someone who's going to run what the rest of the Sun Belt is running or what the the rest of the region is running. Um, I don't know if I would go and get a triple option guy. That's popular in the state of Georgia from Paul Johnson's tree on down in the Georgia Southern influence. I don't know. Uh, that'd that you, be awesome if uh, it would be great. But I don't think you're in a you can't beat them, join them type situation. Also, they beat Georgia Southern last year. Not going to this year. Um, this is a chance to make a hire, though. You're going to need someone who does the Tom Herman stuff. You know what Tom Herman does around the city of Houston and being involved and having a high profile, the Matt Rule stuff in Philadelphia. You need someone. That's why I tend to, if, if I'm the hypothetical AD here, I tend to look younger, someone with the boundless energy, no hang-ups and, and no frustrations, and just someone who's willing to go out and speak to every Rotary Club and JC and all that crap and you know city planning can be whatever it takes and because you're not going to have alumni meetings to really hit up if you have a Georgia State degree there's probably an 80% chance that you just needed a college degree and you happen to be somewhere in the Atlanta system and you wanted an affordable way to do that you have no passion you don't remember you know studying under the stately oaks and falling in love on campus and I'm not disparaging Georgia State there are schools like this all over the country um you have to change that. You have to give people a reason to identify with Georgia State. You have to give people a reason to, uh, to you know, identify. I think my mom actually took about two semesters worth of uh, classes to finish up her master's degree at Georgia State years ago. That's kind of what Georgia State existed to do. How do you get people to go from that, which is basically a business transaction, to tailgating and buying season tickets? That's a tough yeah. call. That's why I feel like you have to find someone who's willing to throw a lot of convention to the wind and start stomping throughout Atlanta. And also, Georgia State can be your second team. Georgia State right. can be... Like Bowling Green is to Ohio State fans, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Georgia State can be the team like, hey, I'm a lifelong Ohio State or Michigan or whatever fan. I moved down to Atlanta for a job and uh, tickets are 15 bucks, and it's right. in the city. Okay, that's great. I mean, I would work with the city... If they're building on the husk of Turner Field, they need to solve some of the transportation problems. Good luck. But there's no MARTA line that goes directly to there. Um, and the other thing is scheduling. I don't know. I've pulled up Georgia State's non-conference scheduling through the next 10 years. It's not great. I don't know how you make it better immediately. You probably can't. But uh, Miles worked out a deal. He's got connections with James Franklin, so they're at Penn State next year. They have a home game against Memphis, and that's not really going to draw. Um, they very smartly have scheduled Kennesaw State when that program comes online for an opener in 18. Oh, right. Um, but they, their first decent home game, they have Army in 2021, which will bring people in. And then they get North Carolina, which is okay, in 2022 and Vanderbilt in 2024. That's not going to cut it. I don't know how you lure a team in that brings fans, but you've got to find a way to do it. Yeah, this is an enthusiasm job. Um, you either need like a PJ Fleck ridiculous uh, enthusiasm, uh, you know, just general enthusiasm level kind of charisma guy, or I mean, your your options are you know the way you generate excitement eventually. Like even a PJ Fleck still had to win. Um, you know that first year when they weren't winning, even though he was laying the 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 groundwork. And, you know, they, you're playing a ton of freshmen and everything. They were still like 1-11, and 11 and it, it seemed kind of like a, a lot of people seemed pretty skeptical of Fleck at that point. Like, yeah, great, good luck. That energy's not going to get you very far. You're kind of making a joke out of this. Uh, and then they started winning, and that changed completely. 
but you either find somebody who's just that dynamic and that good a recruiter to start from scratch that way, or you need a you need a thing, you need a shtick. If it's not a triple option, just a, a an exciting offense to watch. And obviously, what trumps this is just you need a really good hire because winning will also draw people. But you, when, if you don't know for sure, you're, you've got a 100% slam dunk. Yeah, you need some sort of draw. Come watch us because we're fun and we might eventually be good. Um, and, you know, usually we think of that as an offense thing. If you want to have a crazy, aggressive defense, maybe that works too. But, yeah, figure out a, a unique identity for your offense that people are curious about and want to come see. That That would probably – Help and and the other thing that helps is they're already doing it. They're moving out of the Georgia Dome. Nothing, you know. It's even when they drew a good crowd, a, a Sun Belt level crowd, if or when that happened, they were still gonna what fill twenty percent of that damn building. Um, it just it was going to always. Anytime you get on TV, TV it's supposed to be a good thing, especially you're uh, getting a home game on TV. Anytime Georgia State's on TV, it's just depressing because you don't know if anybody's in the in the building. Um, so changing that, getting your own stadium, getting outdoors, looking like a mid-major school, looking like a Sunbelt school, that's going to be huge for them. But, uh, yeah, you still have to you, – you you know, the kids aren't going to be able to walk from the dorms to your building uh, or to your home stadium. You're going to have to get a, a reason to, to get there. Recruiting is not going to be easy, uh, let alone for the schools that come into the city to pull talent out. Um, that's what all city schools usually have to fight, whether you're, you know, successful like Houston or you're not like Charlotte. I mean, it's it's not unique to Atlanta, but you do have a situation that Kirby Smart is the son of a high school football coach. He commands a lot of influence already in the state. Right. Tyson Summers is the son of a high school football coach in Georgia. He's connected to Kirby Smart. Paul Johnson is running a dramatically different system. So you've got to figure out how you nestle in between all that. Um, I don't know if there's a great answer right off the top of my head or the 80s probably would have already or, or might be in that position but you need to find a way to you need to find a way to distinguish yourself above all else so what have we decided here Billy Young um, good coach I think is what we decided this but is yes, why y- young, and ener- young and energetic and creative and uh, yeah young is probably important because you it is going to be kind of a tireless go everywhere talk to everybody kind of thing I mean young system based coach I, I mean I think is the best thing to do right now and then you know kind of dig your heels in for five years but look Troy is a great little program and they're and they're stout as hell right now and they every couple of years can can pull that off and the same can be said for a lot of the Sunbelt programs but you know I shouldn't say this being born and raised in Eagle but Everything that Georgia Southern has done and can do should be, in some ways, um, manageable at Georgia State. Yeah. And again, you have this leviathan of a community in Atlanta that you should be able to draw from. So, by the way, Charlotte uh, four and six right now, and and hosting collapsing Middle Tennessee uh, this week. So they could be playing for a bowl game. Right now they're going to play the at Niners. UTSA. They're going to play at UTSA next week, and uh, UTSA is actually decent so that probably won't happen but yeah at the very least they've got a little life at the moment um all right transition time from one uh g5 that's completely and again let me leave this one thanks for your donation carl and two um it's in fascinating job for me because there's no precedence in fact whoever takes this job i'd probably at least get them on the phone in the off season and just ask them about this you don't walk into any trappings or any problem with tradition or expectation. Anything you do is fair game. Yeah. 
And, and cool. to answer Carl's question about their defense, uh, I definitely didn't see them being this good, but it's not – they are very reliant on two senior safeties. They're very good at big play prevention, and those safeties are about to graduate. So that's um, that's a little scary. they got good young linebackers, though. A kid named Michael Shaw has 11 tackles for loss, and, you know, um, another kid named Chase Middleton is pretty decent. So, yeah, they've got a little, a little bit of potential there, but they're probably not going to be able to prevent big plays next year like they have this year. Anyway – uh, Mike Harden, we thank you for your $200 donation. Um, he says, greetings from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Great cause, and I'm a huge fan of PAPN. Hashtag go tops. P.S. Please don't spend the entire 20 minutes talking about where Braun might go. Ha ha. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not going to do that. They are definitely probably at the uh, cresting point with with uh, Coach Braun. So maybe not this year. Maybe next year he's out of there. Um, they've done a really good job hiring coaches. The Again, uh, Todd Stewart made a deal with the devil at the time. In, in Bobby Petrino, you had, when they hired him, a coach that left every single job he had in smoldering ash. And everyone knew it was a one-year bounce. Everyone knew that he was positioning himself to get out of there as soon as possible and get back to not only the Power Five, but a good program, which he did. Um what nobody really talked about at the time, and you couldn't really say this because it's not something that's – it's not really palatable, is that there was a transition deal set up. Jeff Brom was his OC at Western Kentucky. He was essentially the head coach in waiting. Now, you don't sell that to fans of a program where they had struggled to fill seats, but uh, and they still have struggled to fill seats in a certain regard, but it was a genius move for, for however many years it's going to pay off with Brom in Western Kentucky because – Brom is, in a lot of ways, a Petrino without any of the baggage. I don't know if he's the, you know, quantifiable genius that Bobby Petrino is in terms of offensive structure, but he's damn good, and he's gonna get a, he is going to get a good job. Sorry, Mike. Not that WKU is a bad job. In fact, I think it's one of the best jobs now in the G5. Um, they've made some sharp moves. I was on the phone. Uh, they, I, I don't know. We mentioned this one, so I was talking about Louisville. But we're on the phone. Uh, I was on the phone with somebody at Louisville this week, and they were talking about, yeah, we're super excited to be, you know, at Titan Stadium. We're super excited because we're going to be playing Western Kentucky, and we know fans are going to show up for that game. And I'm thinking, wow, man, things have really changed with that brand because that is yeah. not the way it used to be. So Western Kentucky this year, after ranking, I think like what 13th or something, 10th to 13th in last year's S and P rankings, um, currently 16th. Um, that's crazy. I mean, I mean, and, and it looks weird, and I, that's a little higher than I would prefer. I think that that um, I think they have kind of mastered the art of completely dominating Conference USA to a point. Um, like they, they're only Conference USA loss, obviously, to Louisiana Tech, who is another team looking spectacular right now. They're up to thirty second overall. Um, I, you know, I they've they've kind of mastered the art of beating teams over whom they have a, a an athletic advantage. And then they play Vanderbilt and they either barely win or barely lose, and then Vanderbilt turns out to not be very good. So I think they've kind of they've kind of gamed this my numbers a little bit in the way they can dominate bad teams and not beat good ones. But you're in conference USA. You're always gonna you're never gonna be in the SEC, uh, and and so figuring out a way to to kind of to game the system in that regard is going to win you a ton of games moving forward, even if it looks and, and Hey, it'll get you ranked really high in my rankings, whether I feel good about it or not. So um, they have been the really in a lot of ways, the class of the non AAC 
group of five. So the group of four, they've been kind of the class of that. And they even showed relatively well against Alabama this year. So um, they have done everything right. It's, it's funny to think back. Like, I've been doing these previews for six years now. And you go back and read the first couple that I, that I wrote. It's like, well, kind of seems like they could become something. But, man, they just they bombed this jump to FBS. And, uh, you know, now – you know, a couple of years into the Taggart era, they're, you know, not doing all that hot. Uh, so I don't really know where they go from here. Um, and look at them. I mean, they, they've been absurd the last two years. They are 20 and five over the last two years. They're 28 and, and 10 since losing Bobby Petrino. Um, and, uh, you know, you just can't, you can't nail, you can't stick the landing in it better than that, considering they've only been up for, you know, a, basically a decade now. And they weren't even in very good shape when they made the jump. Western Kentucky also does a really good job. This is one of the things that Brom helps. Again, why you made that deal with the devil was Petrino came in with a ton of experience in the state of Kentucky. Brom obviously has, if not more, experience and, and, and heritage in Kentucky since he's from there. They have done a really, really good job recruiting in the state of Kentucky, which is not an easy thing to do because it's not as talent-laden as the other southern states. But they are – I should know this off the top of my head. I don't, Bill. Sixty miles from here, sixty miles from Nashville, uh, and I'll so take your word for it. Yeah, I want to say sixty, sixty-five miles from Nashville. Um, they're an hour, uh, sometimes not even an hour. Straight up, I sixty-five. Basically, Western Kentucky sits just north of the border. Um, it's much, much closer to Nashville than somewhere like Louisville or Lexington. They've done a really good job of coming in and pulling off talent in the city of Nashville, and then they're connected. They've always been connected, in, you know, in Florida because they're, they're guys. The blueprint for any successful team in Kentucky is that you pull people, you pull a nice base layer out of Florida, and then you complement that within state. So they've done a great job with that. It's right now the only problem that they have is sort of similar. They're fifteen years down the road from what Georgia State was. Now, granted, they had FCS years. They had Jack and I mean, they had Jack and. Jack Harbaugh, uh, Jim and John's dad, and that's who recruited Willie Taggart. They had some tradition there at the FCS level, but there was a lot of fan apathy. I was really shocked last year on my way to Indianapolis. I was driving from Nashville to the uh, to the Big Ten title game. Western Kentucky was hosting Southern Miss, and Southern Miss, out, I mean, basically outdrew them, and yeah. there were a huge amount of empty seats. So there's still a long way to go. That this is this is the time now where you're Western Kentucky and you say, well, what do we need to be doing right? You're not going to keep Brom forever. No one thought you would. You have you have to make good hires every time. That's that's college yeah. football, though. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not unique to Western Kentucky. But on top of that, you've got to start building equity. You've got to start getting people involved because that does pay off. Now that you have a product that's interesting, uh, now that you have a product that people are connecting with, you do have to fill up that stadium. So does Brian Brom get the job? By the way, if uh, if Jeff, I mean, leaves. it's not impossible. I mean, it, it, they they could. I don't think they necessarily have to go that that much in house, so to speak. I mean, I think but. there there is certainly um, benefit to having a, a brand of sorts, and they like they did have a su- succession plan, and that that always helps. Obviously, the next guy might not succeed, but being able to sell your program, the kind of the Arkansas State model, being able to sell your program as a certain type of team, no matter who's the head coach. Um, that's something I think the Arkansas State's done really, really well um, over this last half decade, you know, as they tried to build themselves into the, uh, the Boise State of the South. They haven't quite, not, they haven't quite hit that, um, but it's a, a nice model to follow, being able to sell yourself as being this type of team, this type of program. Yeah, we're going to lose our coach. We're always going to lose our coach if he's good. Um, yeah. But we, we have a plan in place. We're going to draw good coaching talent, and he's going to draw good playing talent no matter what. 
Um, now I think they can do that. So it's safe to say that Western is the class of the CUSA? Yeah. Yeah, since Marshall has um, kind of hit a reset, if nothing else, they, the, job's, the, the job's open and they seem to be filling it. So what's interesting to me about that is you look at the CUSA in the next couple of years and something's going to have to change. The, the base quality is going to have to go up. And, and I, I see apathy across the board right now. Marshall's having a terrible, terrible year. I don't know how much longer Skip Holtz is at La Tech. Now, in terms of fan bases and, and instant sort of consistent support, I look at Marshall, La Tech, and Southern Miss as the schools that have that year in and year out. It's not huge. It's not remarkable. You know, Southern Miss always gripes about the lack of attention they receive in the state of Mississippi. Well, it's just That's just a numbers game. But I think Rice is going to have to make a change. David Bailiff hasn't worked out. Um, I'm interested to see how much longer Rick Stockstill is going to coach at Middle Tennessee because that program has potential. North Texas is obviously in the midst of starting over. Uh, somebody needs to jump out here and create some depth in this conference because that's going to have to help WKU. You need a certain level of competition. One of the things that these AAC coaches tell me, mainly off the record, is the competition right now is actually helping everyone in terms of how well they look. You know, Houston right. should not have beaten SMU, but SMU looks that much better for having beaten a team as good as Houston. So there's, right. you know, basically the rising tide floats all boats when you're in the group of five. Right. They just don't have that right now. I think Frank Wilson is doing awesome stuff at UTSA. I was about to, I was about to bring them up. Yeah, yeah I, and I was supposed to get down there this season, didn't get a chance to, but I've got something slated for the offseason with those guys. It may be in the works. We just can't see it yet. This is um, maybe it's a minor version of what was going on in the ACC two years ago before they made the, the complimentary hires that created the kind of depth that they needed. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see what Butch does. I guess we can talk about that too. I mean, FIU and FAU are not giving this conference what they expected to get in terms of Miami. <laughs> I, don't I don't know why they expected to. I. Yeah, they, they the now you can see potential right now, but I'll get to that in a second. Yeah, they as we've discussed before, they added markets that maybe could one day have a good team in them, basically. And they did not go for history. They brought in Florida International and Florida Atlantic and Texas San Antonio and Charlotte and Old Dominion and and they kind of they mastered every secondary market they could find in the area. And that uh, there is some sense to that, even though as we've discussed before, uh TV markets don't sell Conference USA, and, and clearly they have not. But that said, you can at least – you can see potential here if, if UTSA gets going uh, and Hobson turns out to, to – you know, this has been a weird year for them at Southern Miss. They've, ba- they've gone back and forth between looking awesome and terrible. Uh, but Louisiana Tech is awesome right now. North Texas um, has life at the very least. They're four and six. They're, they, they, um, they're not really scoring points yet. You know, bringing in an offensive guy didn't immediately change that, but they're clearly better than they were last year. Um, that's four teams in the West that have a decent amount of promise at the moment. And in the East, you've got Western Kentucky, Old Dominion, seven and three, like, and granted that's a seven and three with five wins over conference USA team. So that doesn't necessarily say anything, but, uh, the, you know, their margins are pretty decent. They've, you know, they've outscored opponents, two thirty to one sixty-five. They're not winning a bunch of games like five, uh, you know, by one point in conference USA, middle Tennessee has a young quarterback who broke his collarbone the other day. And, and therefore they're not going to be very much the rest of the year, but they, before that, you know, nearly beat Vandy or, or at least played well for a while against Vandy and then beat Missouri. Um, that's uh, one of those situations like a Troy or a Western Kentucky where you can build kind of a brand and stock still ha- clearly has. And, and now he's got his son, a, a good quarterback for the next two years. 
Um, you know, Charlotte is whatever. If, if one of FIU or FAU get it together and then Marshall figures out what the hell's going on and, and, and changes course again, which I kind of assume they will, then you've got four to five viable, interesting um, programs with decent ceilings in each division. And you can live with that. Um, but I do think Western Kentucky's hire here in terms of Conference USA overall, obviously you always want to make a good hire, but they do have a chance to still be kind of the kings of the East for quite a while. Right. Um, and they, you know, as I, I, I would assume you, you have no excuse to not kind of have a plan in place here. And I assume they've kind of got a plan and, and we'll see if it works. So I think in summation, we didn't want to talk about Braun leaving, but, um, I don't think that really matters in the long run. They may, they'll definitely take a hit for it, but their apparatus is in place. They're doing everything right. What they need to do now is sort of that John Calipari rally the conference, you know, improve the quality overall, and then stay a step above that. And I think they can for at least a little while longer. So, um, again, we thank everybody for their donation. That's awesome. And I don't think you can really stump us when it comes to to FBS. Although some people have asked, <laughs> some people have asked how far down the well we would go with certain FCS programs, and it's a little scary. I mean, I I, I would if you I don't you you name the price, but I will spend some prep time on Wofford if I need to uh, to raise money here. Uh, we will do that if if, if it helps. Mm. But you got to set the price on that one. I mean, all joking aside, we 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 do pride ourselves on the ability to talk my, macro, micro, and and sort of all all of the big angles on on any program in the FBS. But I don't know. I feel like we don't necessarily have to break out our homework before we come on and talk about Georgia State. But I mean, yeah, if somebody wants to get real, real, real deep on Abilene Christian, I'm probably I, I might need to Google for about twenty minutes. Yeah, no, I, I can do Abilene Christian. Bill, I swear to God. I, I grew up in western Oklahoma. I know those. I, I know a lot of those Texas programs relatively well. Okay, so we do have one slot open for next week. Um, possibly we may expand. We'll see. It just depends on how much time that we have. Um, Bill, I think we may have time for a box score. Yeah, we do have time for a box score, and we're going to be so totally on brand with it. Um, let's take a trip to College Station. Where your alma mater, in a moment I'm I'm sure you know made you very very proud. Yeah, well, um, you can they, hear it, you they, can hear it in my voice. Uh, they they Johnny Manziel to Texas A and M uh, with a freshman quarterback pulling uh, just pulling off a ridiculous fourth quarter uh, and 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 pulling off what was a truly weird situation you know with backup quarterback against backup quarterback. Um, if you look at this box score. Initially, you cannot figure out how Ole Miss didn't destroy A and M. So, do you want to walk through this? Do you want me to walk through it? Also, I'd like to solicit. I'd like to pause right now. I'll walk through it. I, I need to workshop a nickname here. I, I'm going with Gingerbread Johnny for Shea Patterson, in that he's much, 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 much more wholesome, but eerily physically reminiscent to Manziel on the field. Disturbingly so. Regardless of the fact he made his debut in College Station. He runs out of bounds like Johnny. He changes. He shifts like Johnny. It's, it was weird to watch. Um, okay, Bill. So this this is what looks to be a blowout on paper is what we're getting yep. at. All right. Ole Miss had thirty first downs to two A and M's thirteen. Ole Miss had three hundred and thirty eight yards passing to their two thirteen. Their total offensive yards were four ninety to three forty two. So if I'm just rattling these off and we're playing bingo, you're thinking ass-kicking, ass-kicking, ass-kicking. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there's anything. Possession actually went – that's weird. Possession actually went to Ole Miss too. Um, 
Uh, red zone scoring chances. Uh, Ole Miss was 4 of 5. Texas A&M was 4 of 4. Looking for third downs real fast. Just dead air on a podcast if I look for third downs. <laughs> 8 for 17 for Ole Miss, 6 for 14 for A&M. I couldn't so find it. Be basically equal there. Okay. So this would tell me that uh, a back-and-forth game without looking at anything else that Ole Miss eventually just pulled away from, except we know that that's not the case. Now, Bill, have you? can you remember any time in which you have not necessarily a player debut, which is what we had here, but a single, a single performance at a skill position, or we, we can just say quarterback, that not only did it not only did it sort of come out of nowhere. I mean, people expected the kid to be good, but they didn't expect him to be this good, this fast, and also sort of starting in the third quarter. Basically. I was about to say, yeah, like he some... he wasn't even there for the first two quarters. When you look at this, you know, when you look at the game as a whole, yeah, it's not supposed to be this linear. So basically, currently in his career, <laughs> he has a pa- a career passer rating in the first quarter seventy five point three. Terrible. He was three for seven, twenty seven yards. Second quarter, 113.3 passer rating, 7 for 11 for 65 yards. Still very conservative, close to the vest. They were really, they did not want to overextend him, or he didn't want to overextend himself, I guess. Uh, third quarter, uh, 119.1 passer rating, a little bit of improvement. 8 for 14 for 127 yards now. Uh, they, he had four, four of his 10 completions in the first half went for first downs. Six of eight in the, in the third quarter went for first downs. Fourth quarter, 236.0 passer rating, 7 for 10 for 119 yards and two touchdowns. Um, it, it was just, it was, it's not supposed to work this clean uh, in terms of how he just eased his way into the game and then figured things out. Their drive chart, I think, is the most instructional thing in this stat line. We look at these dominant stats for Ole Miss, well, it almost all came late. Their first, um, well, their six possessions of the first half, it was four punts. Um, three of which, or all, none of which gained more than 21 yards in terms of those, those full possessions, four punts and two field goals. Uh, just they were able to kind of methodically work down the field a little bit here and there, um, but they only got field goals out of it. A&M drove down, had uh, touchdown drives of two plays, 75 yards, and eight plays, 89. Then got the, after the kickoff, or, you know, they had the seven-yard field after the kickoff um, and scored again. That was almost it for A&M. After those three touchdowns back-to-back-to-back, they went six plays and punt, end of half, six plays turnovers on downs, three and out, four and out, three and out, three and out, touchdown, three and out, interception. Um, So this was like a clustering kind of where they got all their yards early, A&M got all theirs, or Ole Miss got all theirs late. The the per-quarter success rate on the advanced stat chart. That's the one I wanted to talk about. Is is hilarious. It's basically even in the first quarter, 50% to 19% for A&M. And at that point, it's 21 to 6 Aggies at the half. Ole Miss has a 19% success rate. And then, Bill, what happens in the second half? Right. Third quarter was even again, like the first quarter. It was 40 to 38% for Ole Miss. And then in the fourth quarter, 58% Ole Miss, 21% A&M. Um, so basically, you look at it like that, you, you see how this was a one-point game. It was even in the first and third quarters uh, in terms of efficiency, drastically in A&M's favor in the second quarter, and even more drastically in, A&M, uh, in Ole Miss's favor uh, in the fourth. So it's one of those games where you look at full-game stats, they're not going to make a lot of sense because this was like three or four games in one. I don't know where on the advanced box score I could look, but, but I, I, I watched about half of this game, and, and obviously I've read about it, so I know – but I don't know where numerically we point to this. Patterson's fourth quarter, late late third to end of game uh, explosion debut or whatever is amazing, no doubt. But it does not have it does not win the game by itself. The the complete off the cliff of of A and M's offense is what 
I mean, Ole Miss doesn't win without that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't and know how I mean, you find that in the box score necessarily. Right. No, I mean, it was, um, you know, and, and, and Ole Miss played a role in that. It wasn't just A&M collapsing, but, um, but yeah, this is one of those, uh, just a game where full game stats aren't going to make sense because it was a whole hell of a lot of different games in one. But no, uh, just a ridiculous finish for, for Shea Patterson. I mean, his, you look at um, just his performance in the fourth quarter alone, starts the fourth quarter with that crazy, amazingly Manzellian reverse field fine string fellow for a touchdown. Uh, next drive, 40-yard pass to, screen, uh, to Stringfellow and a 21-yard run for Judd for a touchdown. Then, you know, Adeboyjo gets involved, and, he, and Patterson rushes a couple times. Then 21 yards to A.J. Brown, 32 for Van Jefferson, and another touchdown. Um, and then, you know, the last drive was, was a little – I mean, they were killing time. They only went 36 yards, but he still completed a couple of passes there on third down – or one on third down. Uh, it was It was – he it was, it was like a full season of growth in one game. And this would have we'll been a, see. Now, this would have been a, an awesome box score to stump you with. Yeah, no, it would have been tricky. It would have looked like a blowout if you look at these, and then if you look at success rate, it doesn't look like a blowout at all, and um, odd all the way around. But it, I, I'm really curious now. Vanderbilt Vanderbilt's defense is not as good as it ha- was last year, but they've still got experience in the secondary and. Um, you know, the ability to stump a quarterback who now has film. <laughs> and uh, obviously Mississippi State, that game has 38 different plots every year anyway. So um, really curious now. I assume they can at least split and get to 6-6 six and six and get that bowl game that they basically yeah. – that they spent his red shirt on. But, um, yeah, no, it's going to be – By the way, a had nine and a half minutes of possession in the fourth quarter. <laughs> that's, why you, that's why you don't use that stat. yeah. Yeah, it is a as I've always said. It is a descriptor. It does not tell us anything about quality. Wow, I think as many questions should be raised as, as there are compliments of Patterson about what happened to A and M's offense. Now, look, Kubinik was in there. They didn't have their starting quarterback exactly, either. and that was a big part of it. He's he's only got so much going. Their run game wasn't working, which is kind of weird against Ole Miss. <laughs> but um, extremely yeah. weird. Um, okay, Bill, we've traveled back in time. We've addressed the playoff. We don't even know what we've said. It's been a, it's been a time time fabric space continuum bending episode, and um, you know I for one am looking forward to a little uh, consistency, and I'll probably be whispering in a hotel lobby as I'm traveling on Sunday, and we do the rankings. And uh, we'll have to figure Sunday's going to be interesting because I'm going to be in uh, airports, so yeah, that could be interesting all around. But we will we will we care about you, and that's why we will we will find a way to pod. Yes. Uh, so for that man, Bill Connolly, you can follow him um, at SBN underscore Bill C. You can follow me at 38 Godfrey. Uh, check us, <coughs> excuse me, check us out, rate us, uh, review us, love us, and we will see you guys on Sunday. Indeed.